finally hits you in singing those lines. Oh, the wonderful cross. The cross was a tool of execution, of torture. But because of God's mercy, God sent His Son to take upon Himself the just punishment that we deserved and put it upon Himself in order that we might have right relationship with God, in order that we might be reconciled to God, in order that we might have life in Christ. That's what makes the cross wonderful. And we'll be celebrating that a little bit later. But it makes all the difference. All the difference in what you think life is worth living. It makes all the difference in what you're living for and where you think eternity is going. The wonderful cross. As I said, we'll be celebrating that a little bit later. And Lord willing, it makes a difference in those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ and how we live. Let me share with you just a card I got this Friday and how the cross has made a little bit of difference in how we live and how, what happens here on a Sunday morning. Nathan, my name is Dennis Ray. I'm a pastor of Life Church in Brownsby, uh, Indiana. Recently, one of our members, Ruth Ann Stoll, was um, in your area for a medical procedure. During her time in Minnesota, you and your congregation reached out to her and extended her amazing hospitality, love, and care. I want to thank you for demonstrating the love of God and how he uses his body. May God richly bless you and your church for all that you have done. Sincerely, Pastor Dennis Ray. All glory in God to God. But thank you, Lord, for using us in, in Ruth Ann's life. And if you didn't see her, she was the lady who had her arm in a sling last week. So what a, what a cool thing to invest in that. But the thing is, is that Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, around verse 48, after talking about um, the parables of his return, he says, from everyone who much is, much is given, much will be demanded. From one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And folks, we have been entrusted with a lot. Whether it's your wealth or your goods or something that God has entrusted you with, a building. God has entrusted us with this building. Thursday afternoon we had Minnesota Teen Challenge graduating here. Two young men, Cole and Jeremy, especially Jeremy, I'm watching his journey, his 13-month journey through um, this process of being weaned off, being addicted to drugs, and his life turned over to Jesus Christ. And it's so cool. I, I, if you have an opportunity to be here on, at 3 o'clock on the last Thursday of the month, come, because it's a great opportunity to see what God is doing. But they all, so many of them come up to me and say, thank you so much for letting us use your building. And I, and I say, you're welcome. It's our pleasure. What else am I going to do with my building at 3 o'clock on Thursday afternoon? It's not my building. It's the Lord's building. And what a great opportunity to use that for, for his, his glory. Oh, yes. I heard a still small voice saying, dismiss children for children's church. So, that's ages 4 through 1st grade, and you can be dismissed out the north door, following Ms. Schwartz. It's funny how that happens. <laughs> but we've been entrusted with much. Again, the gospel itself, the good news. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We've been entrusted with that. And then even as his followers, he's not only given us new life, but he's entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation and gifts of his Holy Spirit. As we talked about last week, those gifts are not for us. I put together a repurposed punny parable. But again, it's not for us. It's for the glory of God and for the building up of His body. And we're going to revisit that passage this week. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
But we're going to see a framework for these gifts, and we're going to be looking more intently at them. But let's see how God wants them to be used, and even used perhaps today. So let's, uh, let's just read the passage. Verses 1 through 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are works of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each just as He determines. Would you let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and continue in God's Word. Indeed, God, You are generous. You are generous, first of all, in coming for us. And Lord Jesus, in spending Yourself for us. And then You give us gifts of Your Holy Spirit to not only convict us of the truth, but to help us to serve You to build up your body and to bring your kingdom forth. And you want to be shown mighty and powerful in us and through us. So Lord, would you open our eyes to the sword of your spirit today and, and help us to see what you have for us. Holy Spirit, guide my speech today and illumine hearts that we might receive what you have for us. And Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things today. Amen. So Paul was looking to give direction for what the NIV translates as gifts of the Spirit. In the Greek, it's pneumaticos. That is, things of the Spirit. A manifestation, how the Spirit was making Himself known. And last week, we looked at the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We were having these, these distinctives. Number one, they were not Christ demeaning, but Christ exalting. In verse 3, he said, Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. You see, just because there seems to be some sort of a spiritual manifestation does not mean that that is actually a work of the Holy Spirit. And this is, brings out the principle of, of testing the spirits, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But when the Spirit is speaking, it's not going to diminish Jesus at all. Even if it's just talking about Him in good terms. Oh, He was a good man. He was a great teacher. No, He is the Lord. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to bring forward. The Holy Spirit is always going to exalt Jesus. Number two. It's rooted in the Godhead, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We see all three persons of the Godhead in verses uh, 4 through 6. In verse 4, he talks about the same Spirit, which is a gift, giving different kinds of gifts. In verse 5, you see the same Lord, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate servant, if you will, bringing about different kinds of servants, service. And then in verse 6, we see the same God, that is God the Father, the one who has mighty works through creation, bring about different kinds of works. Because indeed, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we who are in Christ are God's workmanship. We are His masterpiece. We are His poem, if you will, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
You see, if you're in Christ, salvation is not the end game. It's just the beginning. And God is just getting started in how he wants to use you and manifest himself in you. Number three, manifestations of the Holy Spirit are given for the common good. In verse 7 it says, Now to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You see, again, what you've been given, a gift, is not about you. It's about building up the body. It's about encouraging others. It's intended for the benefit of the body. Number four, it has a wide variety of expression. In this chapter, there are nine gifts listed. You know what? This is not the only list that's in the Scripture. You've got one in Romans chapter 12, one in Ephesians 4, and some of those gifts are quite ordinary, as we listed last week from, from Romans 12. Serving, teaching, giving, encouraging, leadership, mercy. They don't seem supernatural per se, but when the supernatural God gets behind it, he does something amazing. But again, the Corinthians seem interested in things that are more extraordinary. We'll, we'll get to that, but let me get to the fifth point. Um, manifestations of the Spirit are determined by the will of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determined. This is where we allow God to be God. Where we say, well, why don't I have what she has? Or, you know, I'm better than that person because I've got this gift. It takes us away from comparing and saying, no, God, you have given as you've seen fit in your wisdom, in your will, and I can trust you with that. And that's for the good of the body and the good of the kingdom of God. If you were not here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the message because I think those are important things. But today, we're going to now focus on, on these nine gifts that Paul lists here. And we looked at two last week. The first is what we call a message of wisdom or literally a, a word of wisdom. That is the Holy Spirit ability to bring wise or godly counsel to a situation or a godly framework in how to proceed in a given situation or dilemma. Now, when we say a word of wisdom, I don't believe, excuse me, a word, yeah, word of wisdom, this is not necessarily an instant infusion of wisdom spontaneously bestowed, but wisdom revealed after being Long time spent in being God's presence, in His Word, and God illumines those things by His Holy Spirit and brings the wisdom for that particular situation that needs to be addressed. You see, the Corinthians, they were enamored with worldly wisdom. They were enamored with eloquence. They were enamored with the stuff that you see on the back wall of the, of the CEO, you know, but Paul says, you know what? You know, the wisdom I came, I brought to you is Christ and Him crucified. The wonderful cross, if you will. And you know what? That looks like foolishness. Foolishness to Greeks. That's a stumbling block to the Jews. But that's the reality. That's the wisdom that God brings because that's how God reconciled Himself to this sinful world. And that is what the world is going to be held accountable for when he comes back. Wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom from God. The next gift is a message of knowledge or a word of knowledge. Knowledge that's revealed by the Holy Spirit that changes how you view and understand something. Live life. It is a paradigm shift. And I do not believe it's a spontaneous giving of the Holy Spirit, giving knowledge something that you don't have. Again, I think it's by pursuing God and His Word in prayer and meditation, living it out, being transformed. And I, I believe this partly because of what Paul will say in chapter 13, talking about having the ability to fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. It's something that 
is already there. He says, if I can understand those things, but I have not love, we'll talk about that later when we get to chapter 13. But again, I believe this is something that, that God gives as a paradigm shifter. I talked last week about my own walk with Christ. A man named John Piper up in, in the cities, just by him reframing the Westminster um, Catechism, saying the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever, rather than enjoying Him forever. No, how I glorify God is actually when I, when I enjoy Him. That changes how I live completely. Changes completely how I live. And again, we talked about how the gospel itself is a paradigm shifter, right? Because in our own nature, we think, I've got to do what it takes to please God. And as God puts out the law, we say, see, here's his standard. How am I doing? And the law says, not so well. But God has revealed a righteousness that's from himself. And keeping his own law and going to the cross. That is a paradigm shifter that I live by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's a paradigm shifter. Now we come to the next gift. And he says in verse 9, To another, faith by the same Spirit. And this kind of goes along with what I've already said. But let me say this. If you are a born-again Christian, you have some form of faith. You have some form of faith because you're putting your faith in what God has done in Jesus Christ, in His death and resurrection. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the free gift of God. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes, that's a form of faith in Him, should not perish but have everlasting life. If you are a born-again Christian, you're putting your faith in what God has done for you. So you already, that's already a starting place for you. But I believe that the person who has this gift of faith is a person that has a Holy Spirit outrageous derived confidence in God that he is doing something and acting on behalf of his people. And most often it's in relation to one of his promises in his word. Maybe something like this. Jesus' words in Mark eleven twenty two and 23. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that they, uh, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. It will be done for them. That's a pretty broad promise, isn't it? Let me say this. Faith should be the hallmark of every Christian. Faith should be the hallmark of every Christian. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Number two, faith is necessary for the healthy exercise of any spiritual gift. That God is going to use it. It's there. Okay, but here's where the caution needs to come alongside, right? The caution of not making God my vending machine. Of not making God my genie. He is God. And I follow Him. And yes, He invites me into His throne room of grace to plead with Him. But he is God. And, you know, James comments on this. He says, you know what? You don't have because you don't ask. And then when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives so it will be spent on your pleasures. God is saying, look, I'm about answering prayers that are about my kingdom. Not necessarily about making you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because I want to be your God. Excuse me for a second. I am sensing myself getting a moment. I'm getting dry. So just give me a second here.
Thank you. But one who has faith, this gift of faith, I think he or she is not focused on how big an obstacle is, but rather how big God is. I love what Genesis chapter 18 verse 14 says when these travelers come to Abraham who is almost 100 now and says, hey, next year you're going to have a baby finally. The one I promised you about 25 years ago. And he laughs and, and he wonders. And, and then the, the traveler says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? The answer is no. Nothing is too difficult for God. That's what we were saying earlier. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. We have to keep that in mind. We have to keep that in mind. And those with the gift of faith are the ones who are reminding of us this. And it's a call to action. It's a call to trust. Last Sunday afternoon, we took some girls out for a birthday party to celebrate my youngest daughter Emma's birthday. And we went to Roca, which is a rock climbing place. Okay? And so, you know, you climb up this, you know, this wall, it's about as tall as our peak of our ceiling. And that's great, as long as you can hang on. But there's a certain point where you got to come down and you got to trust the rope. you got to trust that the rope is going to catch you. And let me tell you, I did it myself. And then there's this moment of, okay, all 250 plus pounds, give or take, are you going to trust this rope as you come down this, this wall? Is God able? Is God able to take and hold? It is exercising faith. It's putting, someone, you're putting yourself in a place where God has to show up and take care of us and provide and sometimes God even allows the, the circumstances to do that, where we have to trust Him. You know, the lesson, and if you've been with me, you know this, but we preach a series about, about being in the wilderness. You know, what, you know why God brought His people out to the wilderness? To show them that He could take care of them in the desert. Where there was no food, where there was no water, He could give that to them. He could take care of them. And sometimes God allows us to go through those times so that he can just prove that, yeah, I got you. I can take care of you. Do you have the gift of faith? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you need to be encouraged by someone who has that gift. But that's where we have to go as individuals. That's where we have to go as a church. I've been hesitating to talk about this, but I'm going to just real quickly. <laughs> we have an obstacle in our way. It's a $13,000 deficit in our budget right now. And I don't want to make this about money, folks. I, it's not. But that represents... An obstacle getting in our way from us doing ministry. And it is not an insurmountable obstacle. It is not. Even within our own power. But it's one of those things where we can look at that and it's in our bulletin every week. And we can get discouraged by it and go, oh man, we are really losing momentum. No, what really happened is we went into summer and some people went on vacation and forgot to give. And that's what happened. But we can get discouraged by it. No, God has called us to be salt and light. He's called us to be a people who pursue Him, who prepare people and proclaim His gospel. And God is using us and doing it through us. But we can look at this number and go, oh man, we're losing, we're losing, losing momentum. No, it's, it's a call to us to have, look at that deficit and go, you know what? No. God is able. And God is able to do this through us. 
and to tackle this deficit. I think it should be, I think we should look at that as an affront to saying, you know what, God wants to move forward through us. And how God is calling you to move forward through your giving. Again, I just want to ask, do you have faith that God wants to use you, wants to use us to do that? Folks, I don't want to make it about money. I just want to make it about the kingdom and valuing that and moving forward by faith. So let's move on to the next gift. To another, he gives gifts of healing by that one Spirit. By the Holy Spirit to call on the authority of Jesus to heal instantly or gradually, physically, spiritually, and mentally. Truth is, we live in a broken world. If you watch the news, you see it all the time, right? You see what's going on. Where sickness and death are a constant reality. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of our disobedience as a race against a holy God. But Jesus came to restore that relationship. He came to set us free from sin and death. He came to reverse the curse. And he was making that known as he lived this life. In healing people, bringing the kingdom of God, the blind, the lame, the leper, the deaf, the demon-possessed. He even raised the dead. And Jesus sent out his disciples and gave them authority to heal. And then ultimately, he went to the cross to pay sin's penalty and conquer death. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. The punishment that was upon him brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Those are realities of what Jesus brings. And in Acts, we see the power of the Holy Spirit in his disciples. As they proclaim the gospel, they heal in Jesus' name to confirm the authority of Jesus and his gospel. In chapter 4, we see a, a lame man healed who's in the temple, who's been crippled his whole life. In, in chapter 8, we see Philip bringing the gospel and Samaritans are healed and they're incorporated and they're accepting the gospel. In chapter 14, we see Paul preaching the gospel and healing people. And they misunderstand him and they even try and make him someone to worship. He says, no, no, this is about Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 20, a young man falls asleep in church, falls from a window. His name is Eutychus. And people think he's dead. And Paul goes down and prays for him. And, and he's healed. It's good to know that even the Apostle Paul had people fall asleep on him during sermons. But the real question is, is does God heal today? Does he heal today? And the answer is yes. We've seen it here at Berean. I remember specifically our elders praying for a man whose back was injured and, and he was going to the doctor and nothing was working. We prayed for him by that Friday. He said, hey, I've, I've been healed. Wow. Our sister Tiffany Niefeld asked for us to pray for her and her cancer and it disappeared. Wow. And by the way, I, as, as, I, as I talk about this, I'm, I'm not saying don't go to the, I'm not saying don't, don't go, go to the doctor or go to the hospital. <laughs> by the way, the, the hospital is a Christian idea. It was born during the plagues in Rome where the people fled and the Christians stayed and took care of people. It's God's common grace. It's how he wants to meet us. And God can heal through modern medicine. You know, we believe that God provides that we still go to the grocery store. But there's a point where that runs out. In my own family, my, my sister, when she was like in, I believe, second or third grade, she was terribly sick. 
terribly sick, just losing weight, just wasting away. And the doctors could not figure out what to do with her. And I remember the elders of our church coming and praying for her. And it just turned it around. It's like, wow. But it was God. Because God ultimately is our healer. Here's the challenges with the gift of healing, though. Someone wants to take it and exploit it. Someone wants to use it to make much of themselves, to make money for themselves. And we've all seen it. And you know what? If, if you're looking for that person, you can tell because they're oftentimes, again, trying to make much of themselves and tr- trying to use it for money. There's also the other risk of this. The well-meaning Christian who prays for somebody and they're not healed and they turn around and, and turn it on them and says, you don't have enough faith. That's abusive and weaponizing that as well. There's also a misunderstanding of this gift. If someone has the gift of healing, it's not necessarily a 100% guarantee. As I look at the New Testament, besides Jesus, the person that healed the most was the Apostle Paul himself. We see it's like he can, he's just, it's, it's readily available to him. And yet at certain moments, there are those who he's close to and they're sick. And I'm sure he prayed for them and there's not, it's not happening. Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus almost dies in Philippi. He says, I was, I was spared sorrow upon sorrow. And another man named Trophimus, who was left in Miletus. <laughs> he wasn't healed right away. Paul had to move on, and he, he didn't wait for him. So it's not a 100% guarantee. It's a misunderstanding of this gift. And Paul, even in his own experience, had a thorn in the flesh. So look, I sought the Lord three times, and he, he said no. And that's, that's a hard thing to face sometimes, Right? When you're praying for something you think is good, you think it's right, and God says no. And that's, that's difficult. That was true for the Apostle Paul himself. True for a woman named Fanny Crosby, who wrote the hymn Blessed Assurance. She, by a doctor's error, became blind at a young, at a young age. True for Johnny Erickson Tata, who's gone to some healing crusades and they ignored her. But God has said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is perfected in your weakness. I'm going to even use your weakness to show myself powerful. Because Johnny Erickson Tata has a ministry to people that someone like me would never have. I'm getting older, but I got all my limbs. I'm not in a, I'm not in a wheelchair. But let me tell, tell you, the Lord uses Johnny in a way that I can never be used. But here's the thing also. <laughs> this life is not intended for the ultimate healing. Here's something that's, that's kind of interesting. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? And then Lazarus had to die again. He got old. He died again. This world is not the ultimate good, the ultimate reality. We're not trying to beat death on this side of heaven. Jesus has already done it, and it's going to be done in the resurrection. By the way, that's where chapter 15 is going There's a connection here, and it's glorious. It's glorious. God wants to be glorified in healing. But that's not the ultimate healing. It is indeed when He returns. We're living in the tension of the now, but not yet. Let me go on. Ten. To another, miraculous powers. Literally, works of power. By the Holy Spirit to do something that you're not able to do in your own strength. And I think Paul including this is just, it's just kind of a catch-all of like, well, and the other things, I mean, healing in itself is miraculous. 
But this is a catch-all of other things. Like Peter pronouncing judgment on Ananias and Sapphira when they tried to lie to the church. Or Philip being transported by the Holy Spirit after he, he, he shares the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. Or Paul being bitten by a, a viper, a poisonous viper, and him not swelling up and dying. Works of power. The thing that kind of comes to mind out of my own childhood, are any of you familiar with a man called Brother Andrew? He was a man who was a, a Dutchman who was smuggling Bibles into former Soviet-controlled or communist countries. And there's a story of him driving up in his VW bug in line trying to get into Romania. And he's sitting there and he's looking at the cars ahead of him. And the first car is a family. And they make the whole family get out of this car. And they empty out the whole car. Everything. It takes 40 minutes. And he's going, oh Lord, what am I going to do? He's got his car is full of Bibles and his VW bug, right? And the next car, they take the man in to the, the guard station. And they take apart his car. They take off his hubcaps. They even take parts parts of his engine apart to search for illegal contraband. And he's going, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm not smart enough to have any way to, to do this. And he says, you know what, Lord, I'm going to completely depend upon you. So he takes some of the Bible he's got hidden in his, in his car, and he puts them right there in plain sight in the, in the passenger seat. He says, this is going to have to be from you. And he comes by finally. He's brought forward to the the check station. They look at him. He gives them the papers. They look at him, give him back his papers, and they wave him on. And he's looking in his rearview mirror going, are they going to stop me? Are they going to pull me over? No. That's the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. Something he could have never done on his own. And this is something that God says, look, in the moment of need, I'm going to give it to you. It'll be probably abnormal, out of the ordinary, but I'm going to give you what you need to accomplish my purposes by my Holy Spirit. Miraculous powers are works of power. To another prophecy. The New Testament writers were conditioned by the Old Testament understanding that a prophet is one who spoke to God's people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In this context, it is spirit-inspired, intelligible message, oftentimes spontaneous, that's orally delivered in a gathered assembly intended for the edification, encouragement, or exhortation of God's people. And this is seen as the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. You see, this is both a sense of foretelling, as we see Agabus in chapter 11 of Acts, foretelling about the, the famine that's going to come to the Roman Empire, and forthtelling. That is, thus saith the Lord. This is what God is doing. As we see Peter and James testifying for the Gentile church who has been filled with the Holy Spirit and the gospel has come to them. We're not going to put them under the yoke of the law because we ourselves haven't been able to keep it. We believe that we are justified by faith and faith alone. A fourth telling, if you will. Now, this is a gift that Paul's going to comment more about in the next few chapters. So we're not going to try to fully unpack it today. But it begs the question, does God speak through others today? And I'm just going to, I'm just going to testify about a couple of my own experiences. One was when I was serving in a, another church. And there was a gentleman, good godly leader. And he had a dream and he came to the pastoral staff and the elder board says, I, I've had a dream and I think God is saying something to this church through me. And, and, you know, and he was completely humble. He was, he was not uh, trying to 
exercise any personal authority or anything of that nature. But God has revealed something to me. And I think you guys need to hear it. Number one, there are idols here at this church. There are idols here at this church. And number two, the men of this church need to be taught. The men of this church need to be taught. So we sat there as a pastoral staff and the elder board, and we wrestled with these things. And I want to tell you, I think we missed it. Because we dismissed it. We dismissed it. Because outwardly, we were a church that had our act going really well. The large church. We had seminary professors there. I mean, I was on staff. I couldn't even get a preaching date because there were like five seminary professors in front of me, right? But I think we missed it. I think we missed it. Because number one, we had a lot of men who were really competent in the corporate boardroom, but weren't doing too well in following Jesus. But number two, I think we did have idols. And they weren't the kind of idols you think that are bad. I think the idol that we had was the American dream of I want to have a, a nice, secure house. I want my kids to be away from anything that, that might be corrupting. And I don't, I, I just want to, you know, I, I want to wipe the white picket fence and I want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And I remember probably about eight months later where we had an opportunity to minister to somebody whose life was really, really messy. And we purposely turned that person away because we didn't want it to get in the way of our perfect life. We were afraid that it would mess up who we were as a church. We missed it. We missed it, I think. Number two, personally. Personally. And this just happened in a conversation. It was 2015 at the Evangelical Pastors Fellowship. I was talking with one of the pastors. And he was asking about my dad, who had... His cancer had reflared again, up again. And we were talking about this. And this gentleman understood what it was like to live in a town far away from your family. And I told him about what was going on. He asked me how old my parents were. And I told him. And he said, he said to me this. He said, spend as much time as possible as you can with them. And it was like God just shot an arrow through my heart. I mean, it was like God was saying, Nathan, I've got something for you, and you need to listen here. And so, I mean, just that afternoon, I started planning like, man, spring break is coming up. Maybe I need to, to figure out a way to get out to see my parents in, in California. But the very next day, my father had his heart attack. And I understood exactly what God was saying. And I'll tell you, it, it's hard for a pastor to leave his church, especially on the weekend when he knows he's, he's going to preach. But I was able to preach that morning, get kind of some things organized with some, with some I'm blessed with men who can t teach and preach here. But I knew I had to go. I knew God was saying, you got so much time, go. And if you know the story, my dad passed away. About a month later. But here's my point. I think God was speaking to me. He was speaking to me through somebody else. And he used that as a, as a lightning rod. Is that prophecy? I don't know. But I, I'm pretty sure that God was speaking to me at that moment. The thing about prophecy, though, is this. <laughs> Someone says, God is saying this to me. About you. And you kind of go, really? And that's been abused. That has been abused, right? Again, we've determined that someone speaking by the Holy Spirit is not going to demean Jesus. We know it's not going to be countered as Scripture. But God in His wisdom equips His body with one who's gifted to verify what's going on. To one 
another is distinguishing between spirits. And this is where it gets back to testing the spirits. That is a spirit-inspired ability to discern the source of the spirit behind a prophetic utterance. And this is out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many a false prophet have gone out into the world. Is this from the Holy Spirit? Is this from the enemy? Is this indigestion? Where is the source of this? Paul will say in Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Typically, when a prophetic utterance would come, it's the job of the elder board of the spiritual leaders to discern this. But oftentimes, there might be some in the congregation that God gives a special sensitivity to. And those leaders need to lean on and listen to those those persons. But there are also people who have to have a proven track record of having that spiritual sensitivity. Hmm. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, spirit-inspired in unintelligible utterances consisting of human languages that are not understood or possibly angelic language that's not understood by humans. <laughs> this was used as a sign in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit came upon those first believers and they were speaking in tongues, if you will, and people from different parts of the, of the world were going, hey, I'm hearing the wonders of God in my native language. And the gospel went forward. In Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentile believers as they first hear the gospel, and it it confirms that the gospel is going to all the nations. And then here in 1 Corinthians, dealing with this gift, it's expressing the, one, the mysteries of one spirit to the spirit of God. You're speaking to God, if you will, as it says in Acts, I mean, 1 Corinthians 14, 2-4. Let's acknowledge the elephant in the room right now. Tongues has always been a controversial gift. It was controversial from day one when people said they're drunk. It was controversial in, in Acts chapter 10, Have the Gentiles really come to faith? And it was controversial here in Corinth. Because the Corinthians, they loved this gift. In their mind, that was the proof of how spiritual you were. But not everyone had the gift. And so it was was abused. It was used wrongly. And we're going to talk more about this. It's always been controversial. But God has a plan for the, these things. And the question is, are, are tongues for today? Some will say yes, some will say no. All I can tell you, it's not part of my personal Christian experience. I heard it, but it's not my practice. But how I have seen this gift be used positively for the kingdom of God, one on the mission field, we're similar to Acts 2. Someone is gifted with a language to break a language barrier to bring the gospel or things of God to people that normally wouldn't happen because of a language barrier. Number two, though, a personal edification. And this is, this is just out of a, a friend whose walk with Christ I really trust. And he's not a weirdo. I mean, he's not a guy who's looking for spiritual gifts per se. But he's a guy that just said, this is what happened to me. And the Holy Spirit came upon him and he he spoke in tongues. And he was with this this woman who was practicing this and saying, "I, I don't know what to do with this. And she said, well, tell me. And she had the gift, last of all, of interpretation of tongues. This is the last gift. A spirit-enabled ability to understand the unintelligible utterances. And God used it to unearth some hurt that was in this man from his father 
deep, deep, deep wounds. But things he hadn't shared. And she had no idea. But God used it to unearth these things and put him on the road to healing. I'm looking at the clock and see I went way over time. So I'm going to ask your forgiveness now. As I go through this gift of lift, some of you may be going, I, some of these things I relate to, but some are just so foreign to me. And I get that. I get that. But God has put this in His Word for a reason. And we're going to explore this more in the next few weeks. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus is in charge of His church. And He knows how to give each expression of His body what it needs at the right time. It's given in the wisdom and the will of His Holy Spirit. And given to be used for the building up of the body. And whatever gift you have, you need to keep that in mind. Again, because to whom much is given, much is required. I'm going to make a pastoral decision and say we are not going to do communion today, but we'll celebrate the following week. Hours late. So, let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord God, you are generous, you are kind, you are merciful, you are an amazing Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I thank you that the fact that when we come to you, you've made us a new creation. I pray for anyone who's in the sound of my voice today, Lord, that if they've not put their faith in you, if they're looking to themselves for right standing before a holy God, I pray that they would see you, Lord Jesus, the one who went on the wonderful cross, who conquered death and sin for us, and who rose from the dead. And they would put their faith in you rather than themselves. But I thank you that you, when you call us into fellowship with yourself, when you transform us, you turn us around and make us instruments of your redemption. And part of that redemption happens in the gifts you've given us for the building up of your body. So Lord, again, this is your word. Help us to use these gifts as you give them up, as you see fit, for the building of your kingdom and the glory of your name. Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. God bless you as you go, and you are dismissed.